jobs, it may not be uncommon in the next two to five years for you to be driving outside the city. You look out in the distance and you see a drone, you know, whiz by you. Um, we have a, a group that's working with us um, on a project to send mission critical blood samples for transplant patients um, hundreds of miles from one hospital to a laboratory. This week, I'm excited to welcome Jason Braverman onto the 2020 show. Jason is the CTO at SkyX Systems, a company that's revolutionizing the way we manage long-range assets. SkyX integrates AI with custom-built drone systems to accumulate and analyze data on assets like pipelines, railways, and more. The long-range capability of their drones are able to collect comprehensive data on assets that would normally take humans days to check. And Jason, he's the visionary technologist who's leading SkyX's groundbreaking work. So Jason, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. I'm really excited to get to share um, SkyX's work with more people because I personally am really excited about the stuff you are doing. Yeah, thank you, Anjali. It's great to be with you. Uh, we shared the stage once at a show and I, I, I thought you were really uh, amazing and I'm, I'm very happy to be with, uh, with you here today and answer some of your questions. Sure, so um, I'm just gonna dive right in. So to start off, can you give me a, you know, a quick, maybe a few sentences summary of what SkyX does in layman's terms? What kind of problems do you solve and how do you solve them? Sure, uh, so we are uh, a long range uh, infrastructure management company and that sounds like a lot of big words. Um, but if you look at things like pipeline assets, rail, um, high power uh, transmission lines for energy, um, traditionally managing those assets has been very, very difficult and even dangerous. They, are, are they look at these things uh, using satellites and helicopters, airplanes. In many cases, they send uh, teams of observers out on, um, for the lack of a better term, camping trips, uh, because it's hundreds of kilometers, thousands of kilometers of assets that they need to uh, inspect and look at to, to determine whether or not there's any damage uh, or corrosion. So what SkyX does is we've um, modernized that process by using drones to fly long range infrastructure, so a long range asset like a uh, rail or a power line um, or an oil pipeline. And then we use sensors to gather up that data that uh, gives them better data than they were getting before at a cheaper uh, cost and less risky because there's no humans involved. So our, our job is basically a data collection company that just happens to use drones. How does the system Work. So say I'm, I'm, a, I'm your client, I'm a, I'm a, I have a pipeline and I want you to set up a system. So how would you explain to me that you're going to set everything up? Ultimately, what SkyX wants to do is become part of the uh, long range infrastructure that we're monitoring. So if you take the pipeline as an example, um, imagine that you have 800 miles of pipeline and you want to monitor all 800 miles of pipeline. So normally you would fly multiple aircraft, helicopters, Cessnas, um, humans on foot and, and it, it's not coordinated, it takes a lot of time and your data is not um, accurate, it's not the same, it's coming from different sensors um, and different people. With the SkyX model, I can deploy stations along that infrastructure, maybe two, three, four, depending on how far I need to go, and I can have one or more drones in those stations flying that infrastructure on a regular basis, so two times a week, three times a week, two times a day, whatever frequency the customer wants, I can fly all of that, gather the exact same data all the time um, with a high quality of, of assurance that we're going to see things that they are not seeing now. So if you have a thousand kilometers, you would put you know, four stations um, along the path. Now one drone 
can hop from station to station. That's one way to do the mission. Or you can put three drones in the first three stations, fly all of them in two and a half hours, and land in, you know, they all shift one station forward, and then you've done a thousand kilometers in two and a half hours, which is not something that any other company can do with any other technology today. Right. So the last approach that you mentioned, it's kind of like a kind of not really leapfrog, but something like that, where it's you have exactly. multiple multiple um, drones working, looking at the same asset over a two-hour period. Yeah, we had a, um, a a government organization from the United States that came to visit us, um, asking us about the southern border of the United States, which is like I think three thousand miles of of you know. Um, rugged terrain, you know, very hard for them to, to uh, monitor that against illegal immigration. Um, and I, I told the gentleman, I said, you know, if you deployed one of our stations every 100 miles or so along the border, so let's say you put, I don't know, uh, a couple of hundred stations out there, um, I could then fly all my drones at one time and do the entire southern border in like a couple of hours. Um, and he was just flabbergasted, you know, like the jaw on the floor kind of thing. So I'm wondering, I'm thinking about the entire system now. So what would be the most expensive part of setting this up? Because of course you need the docking, you need the docking stations and then each asset would need probably multiple drones depending on how large it is. Yep. Yeah. So that's a great question too, because um, from a business side, our model um, is, is also very, very unusual in the drone industry today. Uh, almost everybody, um, that sells drones, they sell them to these companies to buy. Meaning you buy our drone, you buy our ground station, and we'll train you how to use it, and you can go do whatever you want with it. Um, they don't process any data for you. They don't, they don't do anything for you. In the SkyX model, we, we change that. We are essentially a drone as a service uh, provider. Right. And that said, and that's one of the reasons why we're looking to become part of this, uh, you know, these, these large company assets. We, we want to say to them, look, we don't want you to buy our stations. We don't want you to buy our drones. We don't want you to buy uh, our manpower. What we want you to buy is our data. The data that we collect is what we want to sell to you. So there's very little capital expenditure or CapEx, they call it, or OpEx or operating expense um, that the company needs to get to, to spend in order to use our technology. So just as an example, if Exxon uh, called up today or Petro Canada called up SkyX today and said, hey, we have 20,000 kilometers of asset that we want you to maintain, SkyX would deploy along those 20,000 kilometers um, on our own, and we would bill them on a monthly basis for the amount of usage of the data that they use. So it's a, it's a very low cost barrier to entry for, for, the, um, for the enterprise user that wants to use this technology. So is there anything similar that's out there? Because to me, this sounds like, I, I, don't, I, I don't see the downside. Why? Yeah, so. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so there's, there's not another system like ours that does long range and lands a, you know, a quote unquote drone in a box solution. There's, um, there are a, a couple of companies that have some, um, there are a few actually, that have uh, some short range uh, drone in a box solutions. They, they're basically quadcopters, hexacopters, uh, the, the typical type of drone that you're used to seeing that are able to land in a station, a little tiny station, recharge, and then go do uh, the next mission. They're usually used for short-range assets like a factory complex or um, a localized inspection within a, a two to a five kilometer radius around that station. 
Um, so they don't have the, the scale or the range that, that something like SkyX has, but they do serve the same purpose, just on a much smaller scale. So the technology exists um, by other companies, just on a, on a, on a smaller scale. Um, now, there are certainly drones that can fly uh, far longer, far higher, and far faster than what we do, but none of those systems are, um, are commercialized. The ones that are require are extremely expensive. You're talking about you know half a million dollars and up to buy, um, and and they come with serious maintenance contracts and and ground team requirements and logistics issues, and just transportation issues. Those drones that do fly, um, you know, in the eight hour, ten hour range, have gigantic five meter wingspans. So you're looking at a massive aircraft that needs a runway to take off from. So um, there really isn't another system on the market that's that's quite like what we have at the moment. Right. So it's, it's cheaper for customers to get into. Um, it's long range. So that opens up your market. And I don't, compared to what you've, the, the alternatives that you've offered, I don't see why. Um, yeah, I, I think this, like the model seems really solid. So my question is, what's here? What's stopping customers from all joining SpaceX? So what's the hurdle? you want to know why we're not SpaceX yet? And why, yeah. not, yeah, why, yeah. why aren't we Tesla? And, right. I, and I'll give you the answer. It's regulations. Okay. So, so the one limiting factor that prevents SkyX from immediately becoming the Uber of drones or the Tesla of drones or SpaceX is that currently um, in most countries, it's illegal to fly what's called beyond visual line of sight or BVLOS. So what that means is that according to the uh, FAA in the United States or Transport Canada in Canada or the CAA in the EU, um, you cannot fly a drone if you can't see it with your eyes. So if I fly a drone, technically speaking, around the corner of a building and I no longer see it, then I'm violating the rules of, of, of the FAA. I could be fined um, or, or even put in jail. So um, it's a very serious regulation. Um, there have been a lot of bad press in the past few years about drones flying near airports and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And that certainly hasn't helped the situation. But the, there are companies like us and other drone companies and, and um, other, uh, other technology companies that are working with the regulatory agencies like the FAA, like Transport Canada, to develop systems. And you, know, you can look these up. They're called Unmanned Traffic Management Systems, or UTM. Um, and these systems are, the idea behind them is that drones will announce their position and be available kind of like air traffic control for drones. Um, and they've been working through over the last five years a lot of different tests and technologies to try to determine what a drone needs in order to fly safely uh, without an operator you know, looking at it and seeing it and controlling it. Uh, there's a lot of questions still yet to be answered, but I think we're close. I think within the next year, uh, we're going to see companies like ours getting permission to fly long range uh, where we're not uh, in control, direct control of the drone. Um, and, and to be fair, the, our technology that we've developed at SkyX is, is still very different from many of the other drone technologies that are out there. Uh, so while our system can fly safely for hundreds of kilometers without any risk uh, to anyone, um, the, the government agencies are not, they're not aware of our technology and it's hard for us to educate them. It takes a lot of time to do that. And we have been slowly doing that and they are more aware of how advanced this type of robotic system is and can be. 
and other systems like ours are coming online that are, are starting to change uh, the way they think about drones. And so I think that uh, tied with new sensor technology and new communications technology will finally close the gap on, on where drones can operate um, um, in a fully autonomous, beyond visual line of sight uh, situation. Going forwards, as restrictions are eased, what do you think the future of unmanned aerial vehicles looks like? I think it's really amazing. I think we're, we are uh, in the end of, um, of you know, 2019 into 2020, uh, looking at a truly um, uh, amazing time for aerospace innovations. Um, I, I can't help but watch, uh, watch SpaceX today. Um, unfortunately, the flight was, was canceled due to weather, but um, to think that a private company has built a technology that's better than what NASA was doing for 30 years um, and is, is, you know, helping the government to advance us to a much um, more futuristic level of where you would expect us to be, not just in just the aircraft alone, but all the systems that go along with it, um, you know, spacesuits, onboard computers, guidance systems, gyroscopes, all the stuff that they're developing is, is just light years ahead of what the government agencies in the past um, used to do. And that's the power of, of what private enterprise can do that I think is always problematic with government agencies doing the job. Things tend to go over budget. They tend to be done, you know, in a, in a restricted way. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but the, the backup guidance computer for the first space shuttle was an Apple IIe with 16K of RAM. So, um, oh. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So oftentimes the government will stay with old technology, ancient technology, um, because it's reliable and because it's been tested and because it works. So there is no interest on their part to necessarily expand to, to newer things or test new things. When you have a company like SpaceX that comes along and does many, many missions um, and, and proves you know, a certain level of achievement using a more advanced technology, you, this is the first time I'm aware of where a government agency like NASA has gone to SpaceX and said, okay, we, we need to get back into space. We can't do it, but you guys can. Um, and that's a first for us. And I think it's an important step because it changes the, the way government works with private enterprise and it allows us to get back in there. Now, to answer your question um, about drones, I think we're gonna see a lot of autonomous vehicles and not just the, the aerial drones, but ground robotic systems. Um, FedEx, as, a, as an example, has been testing a ground delivery robot that I saw at an air show in, um, in Dubai which was truly amazing. Um, it is very sophisticated. I could see it operating uh, on city streets, you know, in the near future. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it could change a lot of the way things are done um, and the way we, we live. So from just medical package deliveries, you know, delivering pharmace pharmaceuticals, um, reducing carbon emissions from trucks roaming around the neighborhood and delivering packages, uh, I think that these types of robots will definitely uh, help us to, to change the way we do things. And then, of course, there's the, um, the unmanned uh, aerial vehicle taxi. So like the Uber Air uh, systems that people are actually flying in and testing today. And I think that in probably 10 years from now, uh, you'll start to see, um, you know, real usage of, of air taxis in cities um, nationwide, you know, within countries. So it won't be everywhere, but it'll be in certain places where you know that you can go to the top of a building 
and pick up a, a air taxi that will take you, you know, 20, 30 miles to your house. Um, so that changes how people live entirely. Because right now, if you look at a city like Toronto, everybody lives near where they work. So everybody's relatively close um, within a 45 minute drive of where they work. Um, and that causes a tremendous amount of traffic, a tremendous amount of pollution, um, and a tremendous amount of inefficiency and maintenance uh, for the city. There's a, a whole list of problems. Now imagine a system where you can get into the city um, and you can do that by living you know, an hour and a half away because you took an air taxi that got you into the city without any pollution, without any carbon emission. Um, and then once you're in the city, you can just use some type of robotic intercity uh, transport system that can move you from place to place. Uh, and I think those are the kinds of things that we're going to see emerging over the next uh, 10 to 20 years as self-driving cars become self-driving taxis, become kind of like those um, self-moving pods that you see in movies. So you want to move from, you want to go 20 city blocks, you don't have to go in a subway station uh, or take a taxi or something like that. You can just call a pod, it'll come pick you up and take you where you want to go. Um, so no more traffic, no more pollution, no more wasted time. And people don't have to live on top of each other. They can live more spread out. And I think that those are going to be the major changes uh, that we see with, um, with robotic vehicles. Right. I mean, that's really fascinating. Now I'm thinking back to how we were talking about um, the crawl walk run cycle and how government regulations make everything really tough. Mm. I guess I can now see a reason for why. I mean, once you loosen restriction, there's a possibility that, you know, you'll let the floodgates open. And like, I imagine that if there are, multiple companies that use delivery drones and they're just buzzing around everywhere, then it becomes a lot more difficult from a legal perspective, right? Like what happens if yeah. there's a collision and they crash on a house and the house is destroyed or, or anything? Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. These are, these are, these are really important and serious issues that are, um, I think will prevent uh, us from seeing drones flying above our city streets anytime soon. I, I've always been, um, I want it to happen, but um, even as someone who's building one of the most advanced drone systems um, out there, I can tell you that our technology in general, um, as, as a human species, has not yet reached the level of safety where I would feel comfortable flying a drone, even if it was 99.99% effective, the 0.1% chance that a, a two meter wide drone will fall out of the sky and kill somebody is too much risk for me to allow it to fly in an urban environment in a city. Um, but having said that, I think that the opportunity to use this technology in areas where there are very limited amounts of people, where there are very limited amounts of houses or, or exposure uh, to, to assets or infrastructure like houses or things like that is, is certainly going to happen and can be very, very helpful. Um, we have a, a group that's working with us um, on a project to send mission critical blood samples for transplant patients um, hundreds of miles from one hospital to a laboratory for very specific uh, gene testing um, to determine which organs can go to which people. So uh, in that sense, there are very, very useful ways to use this technology. And we can certainly plan flight, pl flight paths that take our drone um, away from almost all, if not all, of, of any risk of, of colliding with a person or another vehicle. So I think over the next few years, you'll start to see long range drone operations. It may not be uncommon in the next two to five years for you to be driving outside the city, let's say between you know, Toronto and um, you know, somewhere like Ottawa, 
and along the way you're driving along the highway and, and you look out in the distance and you see a drone you know whiz by you or is even flying at a, at a similar speed to the car that you're going at and you say hey look at that cool drone that's out there and i, I think that that will be a, a a regular occurrence in fact i think that kids will eventually recognize who owns these drones and what kind of drone they are just like we do with airplanes right um i think what's interesting about the the legal debate between um car like the, the fear around cars and things like unmanned aerial vehicles or even you know auto, um autonomous cars is that i feel like the psychology yeah. is a bit different because when you're at the wheel it feels like you're in control of something so the, sure. the public perception of it is different than you know there are cars on the you, road that yeah. don't have don't have drivers out it's um, really it's really a good point that you're bringing up because um i think it's a false sense of security yeah. um i think if you look at the I data think. you would you would find that um humans uh, and we have data internally at SkyX, and I can tell you that most of the incidents that we've had in development testing, okay, with new vehicles where, we're, where we know that things are going to happen, um, almost all of our accidents occurred where a human was involved. There was human error. Someone flipped the wrong switch. Somebody didn't have the throttle in the right position. Um, someone took control when they shouldn't have. So these are all human mistakes, but the robot um, it doesn't make a mistake because it's programmed with logic that we tell it what to do. So if we program the logic wrong, that's a human mistake. The robot is following bad logic. Right. In that case, I think that's an interesting example because, I mean, humans are writing the code at the end of the day. So if, yeah. if there was a code bug there. I mean, we've, we've seen it many times in NASA. Right. We've lost hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars worth of satellites that have been sent to Mars and other planets simply because somebody incorrectly used the wrong metric system or oh. imperial system or, you know, in a piece of code that, that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to know everything. So I do think though, to, you know, to get back to your very good question about um, self-driving cars, um, there have been some fatal accidents with Teslas for the most part, those, for the most part, those accidents have been human uh, related people doing things with the vehicle that they shouldn't be doing there have been some rare, I think one rare instance uh, of the vehicle itself having a, a fault in its logic. Um, and that is part of the learning process of, of building these systems. That said, uh, I can tell you matter of factly that the day is coming where it will be much, much safer to let a car drive for you than let a human drive a car. And I absolutely believe that the regulations will change where government agencies will say that you cannot drive a gas-powered, uh, non-autonomous, manually controlled vehicle unless you have certain um, capabilities. You know, you, you've done a certain test or, or you're of a certain age uh, or, you know, you have some, some uh, other reason to be driving that vehicle because driving, you know, a, the sensors and the data that we collect uh, will allow for us to have highways that move at speeds that the human can't, can't react fast enough. Um, so if you look at the current traffic congestion that we see on highways today, it's caused because humans put their foot on a gas pedal, on a, on a brake pedal, which causes the lights to blink, which causes the person behind them to slow down. Right. And it has a cascading effect. And then eventually you end up getting into uh, traffic because of accidents and things like that. And everybody has to take a look. But if you had all of these vehicles managed by an autonomous robotic system that communicated with each other at you know, one millisecond latency uh, using, let's say, 5G networks. And then you're looking at a situation where all vehicles can move at the same rapid speed safely and ingress and egress, get on and off the highway um, in a way that a human could never do. Yeah. So bringing it back to 
um, a time frame that's a bit closer to now. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and we've seen a lot of shifters in various industries caused by the massive changes that we've all had to endure. So how do you think that, do you think that the changes that we've seen in this pandemic, or, or do you think that anything, any changes that have happened recently will influence UAV development in the short or long term? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think that, you know, companies look for any opportunity to, to um, find a niche or, or, or get traction in a marketplace on a business side. So anything that comes up, a disaster, a, a um, you know, a catastrophe, a, a pandemic event, and companies are going to come out of the woodwork with solutions to those problems, whether they're drones or uh, uh, some other kind of technology. In the case of COVID, we saw a number of, of UAV uh, manufacturers developing drones that could spray um, anti antiseptic um, solutions on surfaces and roadways and, and walkways and, and things like that, or they were using drones with thermal cameras to scan people. Um, I think those are more uh, you know, like you know gimmicky kind of um, uh, solutions and not realistic. Um, most of the drone systems don't have the power, uh, the energy density to operate for a reasonable amount of time to do anything significant. Um, but I do think, though, that there is a very good use case for using drones that have the capability, kind of like what we're doing at, at SkyX, um, to transport critical um, medications or critical blood samples from one location to another. And I'll go back to the to the um, hospital example, if you let's say you've got a hospital that that wants to do very specific lab tests of of a uh, of someone's blood, um, they don't have the testing uh, facilities at the hospital. So normally they take those blood samples, they package them up, and they'll send them via courier to a specialized laboratory, which could be hundreds of miles away, that can do very specific DNA type um, testing on those. Um, on those blood samples for specific things. Now, in that use case, a drone can be very, very helpful because it can reduce the time dramatically for that blood sample to get to the lab for testing and then to get those results back to the hospital so that they can you know, determine the best course of action. And in some cases, it could actually save lives. Certainly in the, in the transplant case, it can help. Um, but then there's also, um, you know, there's, there are communities like the, um, you know, the, the um, Nunavut up north in, in northern Canada, where you've got these remote communities of indigenous peoples um, that are in many, many ways segregated from the rest of our society without regular transportation, without regular delivery of mail, without the ability to get their blood samples tested by a doctor or, or get the medications that they need. Um, so drones could be a, a link to those societies in those places where it's not easy for regular uh, aircraft or, or regular cars and vehicles uh, to get into, and also where you don't want another human being to go. For example, I don't know, let's just say that you had some Ebola-type virus, you know, that was uh, killing a village, and you had a medication that you could give them. You wouldn't want to send a team of humans in there because of the risk uh, to them, but you could send a drone that could drop off the medication and not risk anyone. Right. So looking specifically, specifically at SkyX again, has this pandemic influenced anything within SkyX at all? For example, um, short-term or maybe long-term strategy? Actually strange for us. We actually saw an increase in business during yeah. this time, and we're not entirely sure why. Um, 
and it, it really could just be that it doesn't really affect our industry as much as it affects other industries. Um, and that it, it, we, the increase in business we saw was just a natural increase in our, our, our marketing and sales team's efforts over the last uh, six to eight months. So, right. so I think that that's probably true. Um, but it did impact us in other ways. I mean, it definitely uh, slowed down operations for other things. We, right. we, have a, a new, um, uh, uh, we have a new operation that's looking to operate in Brazil. As you might know, Brazil has become a major hotspot mm-hmm. for, for Corona and we're, we're like potentially having trouble doing that at all. So it may be not possible to do that for that customer. So it does impact us, uh, at, at least in the overseas missions. We're not able to travel. We're not able to go to other countries. Um, and it, in fact, that did impact us significantly with our operations in the U.S. because we weren't able to to go and, and send one of our teams down there. We ended up doing it, of course, because we'll support our customer yeah. um, in any way that we have to. But in order to achieve that, we had to hire someone locally in the United mm-hmm. States that could okay. go on site and do the work for us. On the note of the sales inc- increase, I think that's interesting it was in a particular industry like oil and gas yeah it was in the oil and gas sector uh, yeah. we saw an increase in in uh, people asking us for services and i think that that may have been partly due to the fact that they themselves couldn't send their own survey teams traditionally right out yeah to that's do these missions right they can't yeah. get a pilot to go get a plane they can't fly uh, or get someone to do their inspections on the ground so um, the drone really did solve uh, a, a, a bunch of problems for these customers and allowed them to um to really you know look at the fact that, hey, this technology can really um, change the way we do things. Another kind of broader question is that on a short term, there have been lots of pivots, um, innovation that we've seen in small and large businesses alike. For example, um, we saw, I think it was a team out of MIT that figured out how to build a a ventilator for a hundred or a couple hundred dollars compared to the $10,000 or $15,000 status quo. So there's been a lot of innovation in terms of tech and also lots of opportunities emerging in the market, for example, conferencing like I mentioned before. So outside of the things I've mentioned, do you see any other emerging opportunities either in tech or uh, market gaps? Yeah, I think I think there are like two areas that are very, very interesting. Um, well, certainly the, 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 the drone industry, the, the, the in general, the robotics industry, the autonomous robotic industry coupled with AI um, is is certainly finally going to be a, a big thing. I've been listening to right. people talk about AI for, for 20 years, and and um, I have yet to really see um, true advancements in it. But I think what's happening now is that we're starting to see um, the the miniaturization and uh, advanced capabilities of computing systems, of sensors, of motors and servos, and and the the real ability for us to finally create, you know, a, um, uh, a, uh, an Android type person that actually looks and feels like a human being. I think the technology mm-hmm. is starting to exist for us to do that. And those, um, those advancements, it's not just about creating uh, uh, a robot that looks just like a human being. There was a movie called um, Ex, Ex Machina, I believe, um, years ago. It's a great movie or like Westworld where you've got these, you know, um, humans. I, I think that those building those technologies and building those types of androids will lead us to create synthetic body parts for people who lose their their normal body parts, you know, and have the bionic type uh, replacements that that we've been dreaming about since um, since the 1970s. Um, so that's one area that I think mechatronics and robotics will advance enough to to help society dramatically. You know, on the one side, but on the other side, there's the entire 
um, you know, computing and, and logic system that makes up an AI that controls many autonomous systems to do various things, whether it's ground-based robots that deliver pizza um, or food or, or grocery shopping or, or whether it's um, delivering a, a heart for transplant from one place to another by drone or if it's air taxis that are flying people um, around the city. Um, I think that there are many, many uh, of those things. They're all mechatronics, robotics, and, and autonomous-based systems. So I think that those are, are just huge un, untapped potential uh, markets that really, if you have dreams and you have the desire, um, now's the time to do it because we've, we've got the, the technology, we've got the, the people, and, and the you know, you can do it. You just need to set your mind to it. Right. And I bet that, like we were talking about before, COVID will actually also play at least a slight role in expediting this because it's changed consumer sentiment. So like I think you so. Seen, I, yeah. I, I do think that there is the upside to that. I think, it, you know, the, the, the jury is still out on that one to see, you know, how, how other industries fared. But I do think that if you look at um, the pharmaceutical industry as an example, the biotech industry, <clears throat> COVID caused um, a reaction, maybe caused by the you know, some would argue an over panic of our, of our social media about this virus, which led us to, you know, massive closures that may or may not have been necessary to the level that we did. Um, but that said, it, it, it fueled the innovation and power of enterprise to come up with treatments and solutions for this virus. So that yeah. if you think about it like that, it's very interesting because, you know, they always say that necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and here the necessity was stopping a, a deadly virus from killing people on a massive scale. And industry, you know, answered the challenge. And we see that there are many virus trials going on and antivirals and vaccine trials and, and other things. And we don't know what uh, these companies and these scientists will learn just from this experience. They might solve other problems or come up with new ways to treat diseases because of the massive effort that went into uh, uh, attacking this virus. Hey again, it's your host, Anjali. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the 2020 show. We have some amazing guests lined up for you, from leaders at tech giants like Google and Microsoft to founders, policymakers, and more. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, stay safe.